0: Hey, this is Pastor Keenan. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to our Young Adult Podcast. I know you're gonna be blessed because you are choosing to make listening to God's word a priority today. And if you are blessed by this episode, would you consider sharing it with some of your friends? You never know how God could use it in their lives. Well, hey, here comes the sermon. So lean in because God's getting ready to speak to you. I love you. But what I really wanna talk about tonight, tonight God laid a pretty pretty special subject on my heart. God laid a special subject on my heart. And tonight what I wanna talk about is the call of God on your life. I wanna talk about the unique call of God on your life. And some of you, you are already beginning to scale back. Some of you, I can feel it right now in the room. You are beginning to retreat. You are beginning to hermit crab as I am saying this now, because you're like, whoa, whoa, oh, whoa, oh, 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 Keenan. <laughs> there ain't no call of God on this life. Okay. Like some of you, you have an easy time believing God loves you and a really hard time believing that God's called you. But listen to me, the, the message of the gospel is not just that God loves you and he kind of tolerates you and you can kind of now with his love meander around for the rest of your life aimlessly until you go to heaven, okay? That's not the message of the gospel. No, the message of the gospel is that God loved you and his love put a call of God on your life. I'm here to tell you tonight, my friend, there is a call of God on your life. And a lot of us, we are very tempted to relegate the call of God to preachers and pastors and old grandmas with little prayer closets, okay, and quilted pillows with Bible verses on them, okay? We are so fast to relegate the fact that somebody has a call of God towards people like me. I think it'd be very easy for you to sit there and be like, yeah, I believe there's a call of God. On Kenan's life, he's called to preach. He's he's called to do certain things. He's called to minister. But listen to me, what I want to tell you is that there is a unique calling of God. I hope you're hearing me tonight. And those of you who are bristling against me the most, this message is for you. Those of you who are beginning, you, you know you're doing it right now. You're beginning to retreat. You're beginning to kind of look around emotionally and be like, there ain't no way you're talking about me. There is no way he's talking about me. Listen, I'm talking about you there is a unique, a specific, a succinct call of God on your life. And what I want, what I'm really hoping tonight is that by the end of this evening, by the time we are done looking at God's word, that you would begin to go, oh my gosh, it turns out the call of God is for more people than I thought it was. It turns out the call of God isn't just for the super Christian. It turns out the call of God isn't just for people who have different highlighters for different things in their Bible. It turns out the call of God isn't just for pastors and preachers and prophets and evangelists and all of these different things that the Bible talks about. The call of God is for more people than you probably thought it was. You know, I remember a a few years ago, Uh, And I promise we'll get into the Bible, but I just kind of want to start here. I remember a few years ago, it was in 2018. um, And for those of you who don't know, I'm a pastor here at Celebration. I get to pastor this amazing ministry called Young Adults and you are a part of it. Come on, we are nothing without you. Can you put your hands together for yourself? Come on. This family would be nothing if you weren't a part of it. It is so, it is so important. We love you so much. And so I have the unique privilege of getting to pastor this ministry, but I also have the privilege of getting to travel and preach, okay? So I don't just stand up on this stage, I get invited to other stages and get to stand up there and kind of preach. Uh, Honestly, a lot of the stuff that I preach to y'all, I'm ended up, I end up hearing what it's doing in your life. I'm like, I'll go preach that there, okay? So you guys get to hear it first before anybody else. So I get to go preach, okay? So in 2018, at the very end, I got uh, this speaking invitation um, to go do this. I was gonna preach a tour in Africa, okay? There was this tour that was gonna go through Africa. We were going to Kampala, Uganda, and they asked me, there was gonna be two of us that were preaching on the tour, and they asked me that at the end of the day, at the night rally, if I would be one of the preachers who was going on the tour is this thing called reaction tour. And of course, like, I'm like, yes. Like when somebody gives you an opportunity like that, even if your knees are talking or not, not talking, if your knees are talking, I'm worried about you. (laughs) But if your knees are knocking, okay, you say yes. If your knees are talking, they can say yes for you. Okay. So I remember they were like, hey, we're going to go to Kampala, Uganda, all right? And so I'm like super jazzed, I'm super psyched. Um, I've been overseas a few times, but I've never been to African soil. Like, this is gonna be legit. It's a tour, like, that just sounds cool. Like, let's do it, all right? Reaction tour, here we come. And I remember the day finally comes and, and uh, Joy and McKenna, who are sitting back in the back, come on, make some noise, ladies they, they just so happened to be going to Africa at the exact same time. They had been doing missionary work there and they were going back to Africa at the exact same time. So their parents uh, wanted them to travel with me. Okay. So I can make sure that nobody snatched them. Okay. We did not want some taken situation. <laughs> okay. That was a lot of responsibility, by the way. That was a lot of responsibility. So we're sitting there. And Joy's dad is a pilot, Roy Zesh. He's a pilot. So he flies us from San Angelo in this private plane. Okay, I felt like a big time preacher for a second. Okay, we got to fly. In a private, I'm, I'm most of the time in the very back of the plane, and I'm on like the the worst, like the worst airline. Okay, I still have to fly them, so I'm not going to call them out because I don't want to get sued. But I'm at the, I'm in the worst airlines. Okay, but I got to fly this private plane. We go from San Angelo to Dallas, and all of a sudden we're boarding um, our next plane. And so we meet up with the tour crew, everybody that was there. I'm meeting them all for the first time. I'm like, Yo, what's up? My name's Kenan. I'm one of the preachers. That's nice to meet you. We're getting ready to go to Africa. All right. Well, I find out that we have a stop on our way to Africa and it's in Dubai, okay? Dubai was lit, all right? (laughs) Anybody ever seen that video? That's the only part you can quote in church, okay? So Dubai was lit, you know? So we sit there and they're like, we're going to Dubai. And I'm like, no way, we're spending the night in Dubai? Like this is sick, I heard it was lit, okay? And so let's do it. So we load the plane, we fly 16 and a half hours, you heard me correctly, 16.5 hours to Dubai, okay? We land in Dubai, all right? And they're like, all right, we're gonna overnight here. We're gonna go check into our hotel and then we're gonna go do some stuff. We're gonna go peruse the city. I'm like, yo, sign me up. So we get up, in the, we get up in the tour bus, we're sitting there and we're seeing all the sights. Now, if you've never heard of Dubai, okay, I don't know what rock you just crawled out from under, all right, but we're so glad you made it to young adults. We're so glad you left your rock to come here, Okay. So Dubai is this like futuristic city, okay? Very rich. There's lots of sheiks. Uh, it's in the UAE, the United Arab Emirates. Like it's, it's amazing, okay? The architecture, the way you and I drive past Hondas, they drive past supercars, okay? In their supercar, all right? This is, this is crazy, okay? So they take us to downtown Dubai. We're sitting there, we're walking around and they're like, hey, we're gonna show you the Burj Khalifa. I'm like, what's the Burj Khalifa? They're like, it's the tallest building in the world. I'm like, let's go. Okay. So we walk up and all of a sudden there's the Burj Khalifa and it's literally no joke. You can look this up. Google will tell you it's a mile tall. This building is one mile tall. So we're all like getting our photo ops. We're, you know, like the Graham eats first, you know what I mean? Like the Graham gets some pictures of us in front of the Burj Khalifa. We're sitting there all smiling and everything. And they're like, all right, if you turn to your left, we're going to go to the mall. And not only, listen to this, not only does Dubai have the largest and tallest building in the world, they have the biggest mall in the world, okay? Which is how you know God called me on this trip, okay? (laughs) Because your boy loves the mall. Like, even when I don't have money, I just still like going and watching other people spend money. I'm like, oh man, I imagine what that's like. Like, that's great, you know? I love going to the mall. Like, it's it's great. Retail therapy is a thing, okay? So we we go into the mall, and we're walking around. Mind you, we're in Dubai, okay? I'm in another country. And so we're walking around, and I'm like, oh, oh, my God. Like, this is amazing. Everything's so shiny. Everything's so clean. There's so many people. They're all so good looking. Like, what is this? Okay, so the Twilight Zone. And we're walking around, and all of a sudden, there's, like, tier after tier after tier after tier in this mall this mall is like literally like six stories tall we're walking around all of a sudden we get into the middle of the mall i'm not joking you no word of a lie they have an aquarium in the middle of the mall. Now, this aquarium is literally like three to four stories tall, okay? And it's in the middle of the mall. You walk by it, they have all of this, this, this foreign aquatic life, you know, swimming around in there. There are, I, this, is, this is so legit. They have literal scuba divers in the aquarium at the mall literally scuba diving with their little tanks and with their little bubbles and with their little fins you know what i mean they're just going around i don't know what you call them you know what i mean i saw them i said that's cool so i was like they're swimming around they're doing their thing and so i'm like oh, oh this is amazing i've never seen anything like this right the the apple store in the dubai mall has three stories Three stories to the Apple store. And they have balconies that you can go. I'm like, yo, this, this stuff is expensive. Like, why would you take a, like an Apple, Apple iPhone that you have not even paid for out on a balcony, but you can do it in Dubai, okay? If, it, if some demon possesses you, you can do that, okay? So we're sitting there. I'm in, I'm in awe, like, this is amazing. So we're walking around and like, we do some shopping and they're like, all right, Kenan, it's, it's time for us to go back to the hotel. I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm jet lag, you know, me, um, and the girls, we're walking back with them. And we go, and we're going up and down these escalators. And all of a sudden, we're going, and, and I begin to smell something familiar. I'm like, what, what in the world is that? Like, I know that smell. It smells pretty good. And we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, we turn, we turn this corner, and we see something that we were totally Taken by surprise to see, we walk up, and right before our eyes is Texas Roadhouse. We're in the middle. I'm like, wait, did I wake up from my dream? Like, what is this? Like, I was like, Texas Roadhouse? Like, what are we still doing? They have a Texas a bona fide, legitimate. It's not a knockoff, okay? It's a legit Texas Roadhouse in the middle of the Dubai Mall. And so we're sitting there like a bunch of us for on the tour from Texas. We're like high-fiving each other. We made it! You know what I mean? <laughs> like, we're sitting there like we had anything to do with it. And we're like going crazy, Texas Roadhouse! We're like taking pictures by it. It's crazy. And we're sitting there and we're just like in awe over this. We had seen all the stuff. We're in awe just there, Texas. Roadhouse. Wow. And I remember I leaned, I leaned over to one of the dudes I had just met who was going to be on the tour. And I said, I guess, I guess Texas Roadhouse isn't just for Texans. I said, I was like, I guess Texas Roadhouse isn't just for Texans. And what I'm hoping that you get tonight is that having a call of God on your life is not just for the people you walked in here thinking it was for. I'm really praying that tonight, as we begin to travel through the scriptures, as we begin to broaden our horizons, as we begin to see some new things and go to some places you've never been before, that all of a sudden, as your soul begins to be led there by God, you would look up and find, oh my gosh, it turns out having a call of God isn't just for the small little group of people I thought it was for. I thought having a call of God meant you had to be squeaky clean. I thought having a call of God meant you couldn't have a rap sheet. I thought having a call meant you couldn't have a drug, a drug abuse history. I thought having a call of God on your on your life meant you could never deal with pornography. I thought having a call of God on your life meant you could never have sex before marriage. I thought having a call on your life had to look like this. And I'm here to tell you, God calls the messy, God calls the broken, God calls the down and out. Because listen to me, God only calls people that he can get glory from their life. And God can't get glory for some, from some religious bigot who's never d- stepped over the line, never craw- cr- colored outside of the picture, and never messed up. God has placed a call on your life. And I hope that tonight, as we begin to go through this journey, you begin to realize that just as you are, as messed up as you are, as confused as you are, God has put a call Let's look at this passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 26, or sorry, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Let's look at this. Paul writes this. He says, brothers and sisters, I hope you can read that. Brothers and sisters, consider, listen to this, consider who you were before. No, no, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say consider who you were before God called you. It says, consider who you were when he called you. Not before he called you, not how bad it was before God showed up. Remember how bad it was when he put his call on you. Remember how jacked up you were when he looked at you and said, yeah, I want you. There's a call of God on your life. There's something special. I wanna do something through your broken little last name, your broken ethnicity, your broken life. Everything you think disqualifies you is actually the very thing that qualifies you for me to do anything through you. So many of us, we discount ourselves because we think we're not right. We're not the right person. We don't have the right hair. We don't have the right technique. We don't have the right talents. He says, consider who you were. When you were called, let's keep reading. When you were called to salvation, not many of you, (laughs) listen to this, not many of you were wise scholars (laughs) by human standards, nor were many of you in positions of power. Not many of you were considered the elite when you answered God's call. Listen to this, but God, Mm. but God, come on. It's time that you let God butt his way into your life. It's time that you quit giving God a bunch of excuses as to why you couldn't. I come from this background. Nobody in my family has ever acknowledged God. I come from some atheistic background. I could never be used. I could never do anything. God could never go there with me. It's time to let God butt in. But God chose those whom the world, listen to this, those whom the world considered foolish to shame those who think they are wise who think they're wise. And God chose the puny and the powerless to shame the high and mighty. God chose the puny and the powerless to shame the high and mighty. My Bible tells me that God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Listen to me, you feel foolish in the things of God tonight, you are exactly the person God is looking for. And if you will let God butt his way into your life, if you'll drop your excuses, if you'll quit being a have not, if you'll quit giving God every reason in the world to walk away, listen to me, you've been giving God reasons to walk away all your life and he hasn't. And if you'll finally relinquish, if you'll finally give up, if you'll finally give in, I'm telling you, there's a call of God. There's a call of, Chris, there's a call of God on your life, man. There's a call of God on your life. I feel the Holy Spirit right now. There is a call of God on your life. There's a reason that you've seen the things you've seen. There's a reason that you have a history with the Lord. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you did it with. That call remains. Seal that right now in the name of Jesus. There's a call of God. There's a call of God on your life. And it's time that we let God in. It's time that we let God have his way in our lives because there's a call of God. And tonight, as I was just beginning to, Get ready to speak this evening. I preached last Thursday and then I preached Sunday. I, I preached a version of the message I preached last Thursday on Sunday. And if you're here last Thursday and you enjoyed the message, I highly encourage you to check out Sunday's version. I think it'll really bless you all over again. There's some nuances, there's some differences that I think uh, the Holy Spirit gave me in between Thursday and Sunday that I think will bless you. So I highly encourage you to check that out. But as I was getting ready to preach tonight, I just felt God lay this specific story on my heart. God took me back to my childhood when I learned about this story, when I was told this story, when I read this story for the very first time, and God said, I want you to take our young adults all the way back to First Samuel chapter three. I want you to take them all the way back to First Samuel chapter three. And before we jump into the text tonight, I wanna to set up a few characters, okay? So our main character this evening is a young boy by the name of Samuel. He's a young boy by the name of Samuel. Um, and Samuel, in the story that we're going to read, is, is about 12 years old. He's 12 years old. And the second character we have is a guy named Eli. Okay? Now, you have to understand this. Don't miss this. These are big parts of the story. I'm, trying to, I'm doing some character development for a reason. Okay? So Eli is a priest. Okay? He's a big deal. He's a big wig. He's a big deal in society and a big deal in religious spheres. Okay? So we have this little boy named Samuel and this big deal priest named Eli. But Samuel also has some parents, okay? And his mother is named Hannah. And Hannah, his mom, was was barren. She couldn't have any children. So she went to God and began to beg and plead and pray, God, give me a son. God, give me a son. God, would you please give me a son? And you know what? I have found, Hannah ends up getting her son, obviously. I told you his name's Samuel. But I have found... That the reason, I was thinking about this earlier today. I think the reason we read the Bible and see more overt miracles happen. Now, miracles happen in our everyday life, okay? You waking up with air in your lungs was a miracle. I'm not trying to negate those miracles, but what we would call like a biblical miracle. I think the reason more of those don't happen in our lives is because, listen, Hannah only had God to lean on. That's all she had. Like, if I don't go to God... I'm gonna stay this way. And listen to me, I am not trying to diss doctors. I am not trying to diss physicians. I'm not trying to diss medical professionals. I'm not trying to diss psychiatrists. I'm not trying to diss pharmacists. I'm not trying to diss teachers. I'm not trying to diss anyone. But the problem is those people are who we run to first. And then if that doesn't work after we've spent all our money and all our energy and listen, all our faith, on other things, we finally scrape up the last little bit we have and come to God. I think the reason we don't see more miracles is we just have two other op- too many other options. We just don't have, we don't have to lean on God as much. It's no wonder we don't see him as much. This woman, she had to go to God. So she says, God, give me a son. And the Bible literally says this, she's walking in front of the temple and Eli's posted up in his little usual spot and she's sitting there and she's praying things in her heart, moving her mouth, but watch this, no words are coming out. So Eli sees her and he's like, yo, this woman is drunk as a skunk. So Larry Wood thinks, he's like, she's gotta be drunk. He's like, woman, why are you drunk? Why are you meandering through the streets muttering to yourself, you gotta be drunk. And she's like, yo, I am, I, I, I am not drunk. I have not had any spirits. In fact, what I'm doing is I'm pouring my spirit out before the Lord. She begins to tell him her her story. She begins to tell him where she's at. And and, and this is literally what Eli says. He says, let it be done to you. Let it be done to you. What you're asking of God, it'll be done. And so she goes home and she tells her husband, her husband's like, yo, let me do my part, girl. (laughs) Let me do my part. So that night for dinner, they have a little brown chicken, brown cow. All right, it's biblical. If you married, (laughs) have extras, okay? Come on, somebody a second helping. So they go home and they do their thing. And all of a sudden God makes good on his word. She gets pregnant. And nine months later, she has this little boy named Samuel. And she says this, she says, she tells her husband, as soon as he's old enough to be weaned off of me, I'm going to take him back to the temple and I'm going to give him back to God. The very thing, listen to this, the very thing she prayed for, The thing she wanted more than anything, as soon as she got it, she instantly gave it back to God. And I think that that is what happens when you are genuinely seeking God, when you genuinely want God for God, when all of a sudden he does give you the desires of your heart, when all of a sudden he does open the doors for you, when all of a sudden the name and the acclaim and the success comes your way, you instantly wanna give it back to him. You instantly say, God, I know exactly where this came from. I'm gonna give it back to you. So she takes this boy at four years of age, and she brings him into the temple and she hands him over to Eli and says, I want him to live with you. I wanna give what God gave me back to him. I wanna dedicate, I wanna consecrate this little boy to the Lord. So Eli takes the boy in and for eight years, eight years, from the age of four to the age of 12, little Samuel is running around the temple helping Eli do his thing growing up. And the Bible says he grew in wisdom and stature with God. So all of a sudden, this is where we pick up in, in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel is about 12 years old, and this is the very first thing I want you to see. Let's look at it. Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. It says this now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the boy Samuel. Now I want you to understand, this is obviously a very unique detail. It is telling us this on purpose. The boy Samuel, don't get it confused. He's not there yet. He's not fully mature. He's still in his infant stages. He's still got a lot of room to grow. He's still got a lot of things to do, but he is still ministering before the Lord for Eli. And what I want you to see is this, the call of God on your life does not have an age. That's the very first lie I want to dispel about the call of God on your life is the call of God on your life does not have an age. Because this is what the enemy does to you. And I promise you, I know he's doing it to you because he did it to me. The enemy looks at you and you, you feel this, this welling up like, yes, I've got a call of God on my life. And the, if the enemy can't talk you out of your call, he'll tell you you're too young for your call. If he can't talk you out of it, I tell you, you're just too young. Yeah, 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 exactly. You're gonna do it. You're gonna rock the world. You're gonna change the thing, okay? Just not yet. Just not yet. Wait. And a lot of times we mistake that voice for the voice of God. We mistake that voice for the voice of God and we're more obedient to that voice. Why? Because it goes right in line with our insecurities. And it's really what we're more comfortable with hearing in the first place. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, you're right. I need a chill. I need a chill. But listen, if God wanted a different version of you, he'd have waited till he had a different version of you. God wants the version he is calling. If he is calling this version of you, that is the version of you he needs. You're not a day too old and you're not a day too young. You are exactly right. For the, you are primed, pumped, and ready to go for the things that God has put on your life. Come on. If God wanted a different version, he'd have called a different version. You are exactly the person, because here's what the enemy does. He tells you, you're too young. You're too young. You're too young. And year after year, you hear, you're too young. You're too young. You're too young. And all of a sudden, you wake up one day, and he goes, oh, you're too old. You're too old. You're too old. You're You're irrelevant. You can't reach them. You're an old man now. It's like, yo, I'm 32. (laughs) It's like, You know? you're too old. And here's the thing. The enemy will just tell you you're too young or you're too old. And God says, I, you, you, it, we, we have too little time for you to worry about whether you're too young or you're too old. Just worry that I'm enough. If I've called this version, this is the version I want to use. Come on. The call of God on your life does not have an age limit. God wants to use the version of you he's called. Let's throw that verse back up again. First Samuel chapter three, verse one, it said this. And then now, the boy was ministering, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And listen to this. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. The word of God was rare in those days. Now we could look at this and go like, oh, okay, God's just kind of like giving people to silent treatment. God's just kind of, I don't know, got bigger and better things to do. Got a few other planets to attend to. But no, no, no. The reason, listen to me, and this is an insight you need to understand about Eli. The reason the word of the Lord was rare in this day is because Eli, the priest, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, those are their names, Hophni and Phinehas were absolute hooligans, literal. They're terrible. They're literally, this is what Hophni and Phinehas, his two sons were doing. They were stopping women at the entrance of the tabernacle and they were having sex with them on the the steps of the tabernacle as they were coming in to to give their best offering to God. They were making them have sex with them. They were also beating up men who would show up at the foot of the tabernacle to offer sacrifice. And then on top of that, they're having sex with women in the temple of God. They're beating up people in the temple of God. And then to make things worse, when people come up with their offering, they force them to give them the best portion and give God what's ever left. They force them. They say, hey, I I want that part. They say, no, no, that part's for God. No, I, I don't care. Give me it. I said, I want it. My dad's the high priest. You better give it to me. All of a sudden... They have completely ripped God off the throne of their heart and taken a seat themselves. And this right here is why the word of the Lord was rare. Because listen to this: Eli knew about it and didn't do anything. Eli knew this was going on. He knew his two sons were going around doing this stuff. He just said, "The whole, oh, boys will be boys." And listen to me. That right there is a disgrace. That thought that boys will be boys as an excuse to mistreat, marginalize, and abuse anyone, especially women, is demonic. Can I just denounce that thought right now? It's demonic. It is straight from the pit of hell. You can control yourself, sir. You can ask permission. You can love her as Christ loved the church so much so that he gave himself up for her. Not just that he waited, he gave himself up. Come on, man. This notion that we're just going to sow. Up. If you're just busy sowing your wild oats, what do you think you're going to reap? I just got to sow my wild oats. I just got to get it out of my system. Oh, my God. Despicable. It's demonic. It's time we call it out. So Eli knows this is going on and he doesn't do anything. And so all of a sudden the word of the Lord becomes rare in that day. And listen to me, what I want you to see is this. Whatever you turn to, you turn up. Whatever you turn to, you turn up. And whatever you turn down, you turn down. It's not that God's not talking. It's that you've gotten so good at turning the volume down. You ever notice how, like, as soon as you find that little pet sin of yours, it eats you alive? And you feel so, you feel so convicted. Now, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation pushes you further away from God. Conviction tells you that God's come close and he's done something new in you. So therefore, that is beneath you now. Conviction pushes you closer to God. And you know that you had that, that real strong sense of conviction. But then you did it again and again and again. And again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and now all of a sudden you can do it and it doesn't even hurt. Now all of a sudden when you do it, it it doesn't feel wrong, it feels right. It's not that God's changed his mind. it's It's because you have become an expert through muscle memory of turning the voice of God down. Just turn it down, just turn it down. He's not talking, just turn it down. God's still speaking. The voice of God had become rare in that day. This is just verse one. Pretty stinking powerful stuff. The voice of God had become rare. Let's go. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 2. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, so, so much so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Listen to this. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So as I told you, listen to this, don't miss this. Samuel was brought into the house of God at 4 years of age. We have now sped up. We have done a time lapse all the way until now he's 12 years old when we're reading the story. 8 years he's been in the tabernacle. 8 years he's been in the house of God. 8 years he's been serving. 8 years he's been evidently sleeping next to the ark of the covenant. And if you're unfamiliar with what the Ark of the Covenant is, the Ark of the Covenant was literally the resting place for the presence of God. It was the place God resided before Jesus came onto the earth. And now you and I, haha, because of his finished work on the cross, are the Ark of the Covenant. We don't got to go to a certain place. We don't got to go to a temple. We don't got to go to some man. We can go straight to God because of Jesus. But it was not so in this day. And evidently, eight years, Samuel has been in this place, in the church serving, even sleep, listen to this, sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to read verse seven. I know this comes later, but I think it's applicable to now. Verse seven says this. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He has been in the temple eight years, eight long years serving, sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant and still doesn't know God. Which tells me that you can be around the things of God and still not know God. You can come to church. You can go to the small group. You can go to the conference. You can read the book. You can put your Facebook status as Christian. You can do all the things. Some of you, you have quite literally grown up in the church. This guy can relate to you. He literally grew up in this thing slept next to the presence of God and still did not know God. And that's why it's, we come into places like this and we walk away frustrated and confused about what we're called to do. It's because you've got to know the caller before you can find the calling. You've got to know the one calling you before you ever find out what he's called you to do. And I'm telling you, you cannot, you will never do anything that you do not absolutely need to lean on the hand of God for. It's time to get to know him. You can be around the things of God and still not know God. Reminds me of the woman with the issue of blood. She reaches out, she sneaks through the crowd, she touches Jesus' garment, all of a sudden, Jesus whoa, power just left me. Who was that? And the disciples say this, everyone's touching you. Jesus, everybody's touching you. How can you say, who touched me? Everyone was touching him. Only one person got something. Everyone was touching him. Everyone was there. One person walked away with something. You can be around the things of God and the things of God not be in you. We've got to get to know the God who called us. We've got to know the caller before we can understand, truly understand the calling. And I love this. He's been in this temple. And let's look at verse four. It says this, then the Lord called Samuel. And I told this to our leadership team earlier, but I want you to notice he did not get called until he had been serving in the house of God for eight years. And what I want you to understand is just because you don't have your calling yet, just because you don't know what it is God's called you to do yet, doesn't mean it's time to turn tail and run. Doesn't mean it's time to check out. Doesn't mean it's time to say sayonara to the things of God. No, if you keep showing up, if you keep saying, God, I'm gonna make you a priority. God, you 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 are on the throne of my life. Keep showing up. Keep opening your heart. Keep saying yes to the things of God. And I promise you, I promise you that same call Come to you. He showed up for eight years. It's easy to get so insecure off everyone else's highlight reel when you're just staring at your behind the scenes. But he served for eight years, and God finally called his name. So all of a sudden, let's look at this. He says, He says, Samuel. And then Samuel says this: let's throw for verses four and five. It says this: Samuel and Samuel says this, here I am. Here I am, and this looks to be going pretty well. And then Samuel does this. He gets up, and he ran to Eli. Samuel gets up. God has called him. This was the literal audible voice of God coming to Samuel in this moment. God calls him, Samuel. I don't know if it sounded like that. But all of a sudden, he calls Samuel, and Samuel goes, Samuel gets up out of his bed, and he runs to Eli. Notice what he did. He mistook the voice of God for something else. Because guess what? The voice of God ended up being more familiar than he thought it would be. And sometimes the voice of God does not sound like what you think it will sound like. And you will chalk it up. Oh, that's just me. Oh, that's just my my internal dad talking to me. Oh, that's just... No, God uses the voice of people you're actually gonna listen to. All of a sudden... Eli, he thinks he's calling his name, it's actually God. And he says, "Um, um, Samuel, he's like, call me Eli. In the middle of the night, he jumps up and he goes into that place and he says, "Um, here I am. And Eli says, what are you doing? What, I didn't call you. Go back to bed, go back to bed. I wanna ask you this, what familiar, and this is where I wanna camp out for just a second. What familiar thing are you running to instead of running to God when he calls you. What familiar thing are you running to? What seemingly good thing are you running to? It seemed good to run to Eli, but it wasn't a good thing that was calling him. It was a God thing that was calling him. And there is a difference between good and God. God is always good, but good is not always God. And some of us, we are running to things that are good and they end up frustrating us and confusing us. Cause notice what happened. He ran to Eli and he said, I didn't call you. And he had to walk back, confused. And there are some of you tonight, you are confused about what you're called to do. And it's because every time God calls you, you run to that familiar place. You run to that dream. You run to that, that, that person. You run to that identity. You run to that label. You run to that familiar place that you're like, okay, when God calls, he's definitely going to talk about this. All of a sudden God calls you and he's saying, actually, I didn't, I didn't call you to something you conjured up. I called you to me. What are you running to? Because we all, listen to this. We all have an Eli. We all have an Eli that we run to. And you have to understand, I told you, Eli was tolerating the sin of his sons. So God looked with disdain upon it. God didn't like it. And so what Eli, listen to this, don't miss this. What Eli represents is something that was good in one season, but it didn't grow. And now all of a sudden it's gone sour. What good thing are you leaning on that's now gone sour? So it's so good in one season. They were, they were my best friend. Well, guess what? You got a hold of Jesus. They haven't. And I'm not saying, as I said last week and as I said on Sunday, I'm not perpetuating cancel culture. Because let's be real, the church started cancel culture. The church started cancel culture. We've been canceling people over their sin for decades. When to act like, oh, cancel culture. We, 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 we hold the patent on that thing. I'm not trying to perpetuate cancel culture. I'm saying it's time for what was good in one season to be let go because it's not God in this season. It's not God in this season. It's the thing I'm running to that's distracting me from what I'm called to do. It's that thing I keep, that familiar place, that familiar spot, that familiar low place, that familiar person, that familiar label that we keep running to. We all have an Eli that we run to when God calls. And I think I just wanna get a little bit more up in our grill the 2021 us okay because i don't know that this was true it wasn't true for them but it's definitely true for us we all have an eli and you know exactly what i mean by eli you know what an email is we all have an e lie a lie the internet sold us that picture perfect life that that's what it looks like to follow god that's what it looks like to be a man of God. That's what it looks like to do things for God. That's what it, that's what it looks like. But hey, God didn't, God didn't give you that. You picked that up from some Instagrammer. You picked that up from some pastor that you only see him when he's on stage, but you don't know how he bleeds in private. You don't know the, the levels of consecration he has to devote himself to to get to walk that road. We all have an Eli and I think that's really potent for a lot of us. This idea, this mirage that we were sold, that when we get there, won't actually be there. It's an apparition. It was never real in the first place. We all have those things that when God calls, whew, we run to. What's your Eli? And I feel the Lord saying this tonight. Listen to me. I feel him saying this. I'm coming after your Eli. I'm coming after your Eli. I'm coming after what's blocking your call. I'm coming after that blocked call. Quit blocking my call. I'm coming after that thing that you keep running to because you can chalk it up to it's still good. It still isn't that bad. It still is kind of, it's got the trappings of what it looks like to be, to be godly. E- Eli looks godly on the outside. He's hollow on the inside. God sees the heart. What is your Eli? And what I want you to notice is, all of a sudden, Eli tells Samuel. He says, "Hey, hey, I, I, listen, we're winding the plane down. I promise." He says, "I didn't call you," and he goes back. And what I want you to see is this: God called again. What I want to tell you tonight is if you've been ignoring, if you've been blocking, if you've been sidebarring the call of God on your life, it is not time to despair. despair. God's calling again. He calls again. He calls again and again and again. And what I want you to see is that even Samuel, listen to me, Samuel would one day grow up to be a major mouthpiece of God. You know what person that he saw the call of God on one day? A little boy named David. David. Samuel is the prophet who grows up to recognize the hand of God on the life of a little shepherd boy named David. And guess who Jesus is? He's the son of David. Jesus, our Savior, came through the lineage that this guy had a prophetic unction to see. And even he got it wrong the first time. Even he got it wrong the first time. And guess what? He got it wrong the second time. Because he lays back in bed and God calls again, Samuel! And he runs back to Eli. He says, you called me. I said, no, I didn't didn't call you. I didn't call you. Go lay back down. And he goes, okay. He lays back down. Churches are creepy at night. I get it. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) he lays down. And all of a sudden, Samuel. Eli. And he runs over to Eli a third time. He says, Eli, you called me. Eli says, dude, I didn't call you. What in the world? And all of a sudden, in this third time, Eli has this recognition. He says, wait, I think this is God calling you, young man. And listen to me, even though Eli wasn't perfect, God was still able to use him to give him some good advice. Listen to me, the imperfect people in your life can still come and leak a little bit of God on you. Don't ever count anyone out. Don't ever count like somebody, God can't use somebody. God used Balaam's donkey. That's a story in the Bible. I may may preach that someday. God literally spoke, I don't know if it was English, but he spoke a language somebody could understand through a donkey. Don't ever count anybody out. All of a sudden, Eli goes, wait, wait. I think this might be God. And he says this. He says, next time you hear it, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Just lay there and say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And all of a sudden, we see this. Let's keep going. It says this. He sends him back in 1 Samuel 3, verses 9 through 10. If I can have somebody come and play quietly on the keys, that would be awesome. Make me sound spiritual. <laughs> 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. Look, let's look at it. Let's throw it up. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, listen to this. Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord." Your servant hears. Can I just dispel the idea to you that God is looking for anything else except an open ear? Some of you, you think you have to know what God's gonna say when he speaks. No, you don't. God is looking tonight for the very same thing you gave me. None of you walked in here knowing what I was gonna talk about. But you said, hey, even though I don't know, I'm coming with an open ear. I wanna hear what you have. I didn't, you didn't know what God was gonna speak. You don't have to know what God is gonna say. Position yourself to hear him say it. So all of a sudden he says, speak. He says, say this, speak Lord, your servant hears. And so get this, so Samuel went and lay down in his place. He laid down in his place and the Lord came and stood calling as he did the other times. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. What I want you to notice is this, is Samuel's call didn't come when he was running to Eli. Exerting all this energy, trying to figure out, what does God call me to do? Where is that coming from? What does it look like? What is it gonna look like in 10 years? Where's it gonna come from? Running, running, running to all the wrong things. His call didn't come when he ran. His call came when he laid down, his call came out of rest. And what I want you to understand tonight is the call of God on your life is not gonna come out of working your worried little fingers to the bone trying to figure it out. It comes when we get into this place of rest and we say, God, I have no idea what you wanna do. I have no idea what you're gonna say. I have no idea how you could ever even use the likes of me, but I'm gonna trust that if I'll just lay down my life, if I'll just put myself aside, if I'll put my insecurities away, I'll begin to hear what you've got for me. It comes from a place of rest, not from a place of restlessness. Some of you, you are so restless when it comes to the call of God on your life. So busy trying to figure it out. So busy trying to figure it. So busy trying to navigate it. So busy trying to just squeeze every little drop out. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not how I, that's not how I call people. I call people out of rest. And notice, this is so good. It says, Samuel laid down. And God stood up. Notice it. Look, let's throw it back up. It says, so Samuel went and laid down in his place and the Lord came and stood up. Can I tell you right now that when you lay down, God stands up. When you lay down, when you finally quit, when you finally understand that the battle is not yours, that it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord, all of a sudden, God begins to stand up. When you lay down, God begins to stand up. And I'm here to tell you, lay down. Sometimes it takes more faith to lay down than it does to run around. We'd rather run around. I'd rather run. I'd rather do it. I'd rather grind. Let me grind, God. And God says, you know how to grind, but you don't know how to lay. If you grind, you get the glory. If you lay, I get the glory. Lay down. Lay down. And it's crazy that all of a sudden he begins to lay down. And God says this, I know I'm going a little long, but this is important. This is the rest of your life we're talking about. And he says this, God begins to talk to him and you would expect that God would talk to him about Samuel. You expect God would say, here's what you're going to do, Samuel. You're going to do these great and mighty things. You're going to vanquish foes. You're going to deliver the word of the Lord. There'll be a little shepherd boy and you'll anoint him with oil and he will slay Goliath and he'll set my people free and one day the savior of the world. But no, no, no. God doesn't even first talk to Samuel about what Samuel's going to do. God says, here's what I'm going to do. And then he says this, I'm going to get rid of Eli. God whispers in Samuel's ear and says, the whole thing I wanted to talk about wasn't everything you could do for me. It was the thing I wanted to get out of your way. I want to get out of your way. The Eli. The thing that you keep running to, the thing that was good in one season, but no longer honors me, that is no longer serving my purpose, I will uproot it. It's not up to you. You continue to lay down, boy, and let me have my work. Let me have my way. Let me do for you what you could never do for yourself. He says, I will get rid of Eli because Eli no longer honors me. And guess what? It was in getting rid of Eli that Samuel had a clear path to do everything that God had called him to do. And after Eli had officially died, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died on the same day. In fact, there was a prophetic word about that. And when he heard about it, and when he heard that the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen in the battle that they had died in, Eli was sitting in a chair and he fell backwards and he fell and he broke his neck. This is literally the next chapter like that. And all of a sudden the road is cleared for Samuel to do everything he was called to do. And all he had to do was stop running and lay down. I feel God saying, I'm coming to remove your Eli tonight. The thing that's no longer serves my purposes. The thing that's a crutch. The thing that you use is, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, it's, it's, it, it's good. It's good. Maybe God can use it. God says, I no longer want to use that thing. I want you to lean on me. I feel God saying, I want to remove your Eli. And I love this. And this is where I'm done. This is what happens. Samuel hears this. I'm removing Eli. And he literally can't sleep the rest of the night. Would you be able to? I wouldn't. The audible voice of God came to me. He can't sleep a week. So he gets up the next day and he's a nervous wreck, right? Because he does not want Eli to know what God told him. And Eli comes up to him. He says, you're going to tell me everything God told you last night. And if you leave anything out, you'll be cursed. It's like, you can't argue with that. You know what I mean? Like, so Samuel goes, all right, here's what God said. And he literally tells him exactly what the Lord told him, verbatim, exactly what's gonna happen to him. And this is what Eli responds. First Samuel 3, 18, it says this. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Listen to me, what I... The reason I showed you that is because when you finally start telling your Eli what God told you about your Eli, your Eli can't argue with God. Your Eli can't go, no, I'm sticking around. No, you can't get rid of me. Even Eli's got to go. He's God. If he's removing me, he's removing me. I'm here to tell you there is nothing in your life God can't remove. There is nothing in your life so obstinate that God cannot uproot that thing. There is no place, there is no lie, there is no identity. There is nothing in your life that you continue to run through that God cannot remove. And it's time that when those things begin to call, when those things begin to call you back, when those things begin to trap you again, you stare it down in the face and you, give, you get some faith, you get some guts on the inside of you and you say, here's what God said about you and you'll be surprised, that thing will say, he's the Lord, what can I do to stop him? Let him do what seems good to him. Let God remove your Eli tonight. There's a call of God on your life. And the very first step in stepping into the call of God on your life is getting rid of that plan B, getting rid of that thing that you keep running to instead of God. And with every head bowed and every eye closed right now, just out of privacy and concentration, if you, that's you tonight, if you would say, Kenan, you're talking to me. I need God to remove my Eli. That lie I've believed, that filter I look at myself through. I am the puny. I am the powerless one that we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28. I'm puny, I'm powerless. I'm here to tell you God wants to use you. And it's time that we let him get rid of those lies, of those insecurities, of those scapegoats. If that's you tonight, you would say, Kenan, I need to give God my Eli. If that's you, when I count to three, I'd just like you to shoot your hand up as a sign of surrender and faith. One, God loves you. Two, now's your moment. Come on, raise your hand, raise your hand. Hands going up, lift them high to heaven. Come on, don't back down now, give it to God. Come on, you know exactly what he's putting his finger on. You know exactly what it is. You know that ship that you've kept on the dock just in case things don't go well, you can get out. And it's time for God to burn the ships. It's time for God to burn the ships. God wants to burn the ship tonight. God's removing the Eli. I'm gonna pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for every hand that is raised to heaven because that hand represents a heart that has just given something over to you. Lord, I pray that you'd begin to move in and you'd begin to do for them what they cannot do for themselves, those plan Bs, those scapegoats, those, those alternate routes, those distractions. Lord, I thank you that right now you begin to snatch them away. Lord, it's up to you. We can't do it. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by your Spirit. And Lord, I thank you that your Spirit is uprooting the Eli right now in each and every single one of our lives. Lord, I thank you that they stand bold in their calling, that there is no age limit on their call. There is nothing that you can't uproot in their life. And Lord, I thank you for it right now. And I call them blessed, and it's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Come on, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God glory for what he did tonight. Come on. Come on, amen, amen. Well, hey, you made it all the way to the end of this sermon and thanks for listening to it in its entirety. I know God spoke to you. And if he did, maybe he even dropped a specific person in your heart who needs to hear this message. Would you send them the link? And if there's no one specific, just post it on your social media story. You never know who could click on the link and end up accepting Christ at the end of the sermon. Well, uh, hey, I'll see you on the next episode. I love you so much. Be blessed.